All right, a little audience participation right from the get-go. Very good. Well, today we are wrapping up a three-part series in the book of Judges. And so if you have a chance and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Judges chapter 13 all the way through 16 today. So just open up, and uh, I'm not going to read Judges 13 through 16 in its entirety to you today, but we're going to be uh, reading some selections, and so if you want to have that ready, that would be outstanding. Today we're, we're talking about one of Israel's most famous judges, if not the most famous, and it's Samson. And many of you know Samson's story, but it starts off with uh, Samson's parents hearing from an angel that they are going to have a son and that he's going to be special, that he's going to be, he, he has a special purpose and a plan. And, and so in 13, chapter 13, verse 5, it talks about Samson being a Nazarite. And a Nazarite is simply someone that has been set apart for God. They've made a covenant with God that they won't drink wine they won't cut their hair as a way to set them apart, to look differently, to act differently. And, and so God has special plans for Samson. And he's going to be Israel's judge. Now, if you know anything about uh, the book of Judges, or you've been here the last few weeks, um, you know that there's a cycle that Israel goes through. They call it the Judges Cycle, and it basically looks like this. That people, God's people, Israel, turn away from God. And then God sends some enemies to oppress them, to help them see the wrongdoing that they did. And they realize that we made a huge mistake. Then they turn back to God. And God grants them compassion and grace and then he sends a judge to rescue them from their oppression and rescues them from their enemies. And then the cycle repeats. And they do this many times throughout the book of Judges. Samson is going to be one of those judges. We're going to be flying through some of this text and we'll spend some, some extra time on some others. But we're going to be in chapter 14 now. And Samson is old enough to get married. And he goes into the Philistine land, who happens to be the nation that God has sent to oppress Israel. And so the Philistines are Israel's enemy, but Samson goes into the Philistine land to find a wife. And initially, when I read that, I thought, man, that sounds... You know, that sounds like, here Samson is, already making a bad decision, but it says that it was clearly God's plan. And God uses that decision to, to be able to, to make some connections with, Philistine, with the Philistines and carry out his plan. And so he finds this woman, he wants her to be his wife. And so him and his family head to her house to start the wedding celebration, to start the party. And on his way, somehow Samson and his parents get maybe a bit separated, and they're not together in this moment. And they're going through a vineyard, and this is what it says, verse 5 of chapter 14. 
It says, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. And they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. And then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion to pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. This is the first instance where we see Samson, his brute strength, and God acting through Samson to tear this young lion apart. And so they finally get to this fiancé's house. And he gets there, and, and they're beginning the wedding celebration, and the wedding party has arrived, and Samson is kind of a, a natural prankster. He likes riddles, and he apparently likes gambling, and he makes a deal, or he, makes, he, he throws out a riddle for the wedding party um, that basically has a wager on it. And he says, if you can guess this riddle, I will give you 30 garments of clothing. And if you can't guess it, then you will give me 30 garments of clothing, a full wardrobe, essentially. And the wedding party gets frustrated. And, and eventually, they, they secretly convince Samson's wife, or his fiance at the time, to get the answer, and she entices Samson, and he gives it up. And so he loses the bet. With the wedding party. And he gets really upset. And so he decides to go to another Philistine city and kill 30 men, take their garments, and give them to the wedding party. And then he leaves without being married in a huff, essentially. And the problem is, is that when he leaves, the father-in-law-to-be sees that he's left and decides, you know what, I don't think he's coming back. I don't think she, he's interested anymore. And so he gives his daughter to Samson's best man. And so Samson has maybe one of the worst days ever. Chapter 15 we begin to see that Samson is this powerhouse judge. He's not just an ordinary judge saving Israel, but he is a huge powerhouse, and he will go to prove that. Samson proves to the Philistines that he is a force to be reckoned with, that he's not somebody that you want to mess with. And so we read in chapter 15, verses 4 to 6, So Samson went and caught 300 foxes. And took torches, and he turned them tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines, and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. And then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And it just gets worse for Samson. 
And so Samson decides to go and to just withdraw, to ease the tensions, to cool down. And so he withdraws to a cave. And the Philistines' attention now has turned from being focused on oppressing Israel altogether to really just being more concerned with who Samson is and why he's such a pain in their side. And so they decide that since they have the power still over Israel, that they're going to convince Israel to go and convince Samson to surrender. They want him to come down out of his cave and to surrender to them. And so 3,000 Israelites go to convince Samson. You know you're a big deal when it takes 3,000 people to convince you to do something. And so Samson agrees, and he is bound, and he comes down to where the Philistines are. And in chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, it says, When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. And then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck down a thousand men. That's unbelievable power. It's unbelievable might. And the Philistines thinking they're going to have the upper hand. They had 3,000 Israelites to convince Samson to come down. They finally got him and he slays a thousand of their men. Samson's kind of a big deal. And chapter 15 basically ends with Samson, with it saying that Samson faithfully judged for 20 years. And then we go to chapter 16. And this is where we see sin beginning to enter into the picture. See, Samson has been keeping the Israelites safe for the last 20 years. And he's doing a pretty good job. And the Philistines are pretty, pretty nervous of Samson being in the land. After all, he killed a thousand people with one jawbone of a donkey. And Samson, I think, begins to get a bit arrogant. He begins to, to think, man, I, I, I've been doing this for a while and... I'm kind of a big deal. And he decides to head into the Philistine land and find a prostitute. And he goes into their land, into a city that happened to be the most fortified city the Philistines had had. It was the most heralded city in terms of strength and ability to, to, to keep its inhabitants safe. And he goes in, and in verse 3 of chapter 16, it says, But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. What's interesting here is that Samson stayed knowing full well the Philistines knew he was there, that he was, 
He, he was in their city, in their most fortified city, that the likelihood of him getting out would be very little. And he knew he, they were there and they were coming after him. And it says he stayed until midnight is almost an act of just complete arrogance and saying, I got this. Do you not remember that I killed a thousand men? You know, it's noticeably different between this sheer act of strength and the other sheer acts of strength that Samson had had in his life. You know what's missing? Spirit of the Lord rushing upon him. I think that's very interesting in this moment. Samson is still strong, but it appears to be that he's acting alone this time. You know what happens with sin is that sin doesn't start off with doing this big, terrible, disgraceful action. It starts off really small. It starts off with just a little boundary, just a little edgy. Just a tiny little boundary line that Satan convinces us to cross, and it's just a little bit. And he gets us to cross that line, and he gets us to cross it again, and pretty soon the sin that started off so small has now become a complete spiral, and we are caught up in a sin so deep that we can't possibly climb out. I think it started with Samson being vulnerable, being able to be enticed. We see it early on with his fiance, where she entices him. And we will continue to see Samson giving in just a little bit. and Gives in to his arrogance. It starts small and becomes increasingly ensnaring for us. And we see that happen in Samson's life. Then he decides to go deeper into the Philistine land. Instead of going away, instead of realizing that he was wrong and staying there, instead of being convicted by what he had done, he goes deeper into the Philistine territory and finds yet another woman. Her name is Delilah. And there are several problems with him and his relationship with Delilah. The first is that she's a Philistine, obviously, and so he's literally sleeping with the enemy. The second is that he doesn't pursue marriage this time, which I think is interesting. He doesn't pursue God's plan for a man and a woman in relationship together. And it seems that his focus has now shifted from protecting Israel and keeping her safe, and delivering her from the Philistines to more of his relationship with him and the women that are in his life. And then Delilah convinces him to give up the secret to his strength. And I know we're breezing through this. Here's the thing that I know about sin. Sin makes us stupid, right? I'm, <clears throat> I'm a deer hunter, 
And uh, I don't know if many of you are in here or not, but one thing I know, the best time to do hunting is when it starts to get cold out and, uh, and, and the deer are, are starting to get a little frisky and uh, it, you enter into a season called rut. And that's mating season. And these big bucks with the huge antlers who, who have been... Who, who have been staying away from open clearings and, and staying away from people and playing it smart and safe, begin to come out into the open to begin to be vulnerable, begin to be susceptible to all these things in pursuit of a doe. They just get stupid. And it's just like sin. Especially for Samson. Samson was blinded by all the dangers, all the things, all the telltale signs that tell him he shouldn't go into the Philistine land. And he continues to pursue. And he was arrogant and he was stupid. So hold on to that idea, and we'll come back to it in just a second. But Samson gives up his secret to strength. He gives it to Delilah, and he's captured by the Philistines, and they immediately gouge out his eyes. And I think maybe Samson was so arrogant to think that even though he told her what the secret to his strength was, that he would still be strong. Even though he told them, even though he told her what it was, that he would still be able to, after all, I killed a thousand men. After all, look what I've done. But then in that moment, he's captured, and he's taken to prison, and he has no eyesight now, and the only thing they've tasked him with doing in prison is turning a millstone to grind grain, and Samson becomes no better than a donkey. Samson has hit rock bottom. Can you imagine Samson is turning this millstone as he's pushing with so much less strength than he had had just a few days before. As he's pushing it, can you imagine what is going through his mind as he's regretting all the decisions that he's made. As he feels guilty for all the things, and he begins to ponder, why did I do that? How could I have been so stupid? How could I have given her the secret to my strength, which nobody but me and my parents have known? And I think maybe in that moment, as he's turning the wheel of the millstone, he begins to realize that the strength was not his own. That it had nothing to do with his hair, but that his strength actually came from God. See, Satan is a master deceiver. His goal in our lives is to tell us lies and to convince us that, that that little boundary line is no big deal. 
and that we continue going. And then as soon as we find ourselves in the middle of the spiral of sin that we're so caught up, he points a finger at us and says, look what you've done, how shameful. It's the way sin works. And we realize how stupid have we been. Psalm 49, 7-9 says, Really? There is no such thing as self-rescue. Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, the cost of rescue is beyond our means, and even then it doesn't guarantee life forever. Or insurance against the black hole. You see, this morning we have to admit to ourselves that we can't beat sin by ourselves. We can't beat it by ourselves, that we can't save ourselves today. It can't be done. It's impossible. We can't earn enough money to save ourselves. And Samson, in the moment of his despair, and in the moment of the destruction, as he's turning the wheel in the jailhouse, I think he realizes, my strength didn't come from God. My ability to defeat my sin did not come from myself. Luckily, there is some good news for us today. And it's in the way that God works in our lives. And this is where your outlines are going to come in today. The first thing that God does for us is that he meets us where we are. If you want to put the first slide of the PowerPoint up, God meets us where we are. Second thing is that God tells us the truth about ourselves. You know, when it comes to our lives, we really don't like to be corrected. We tend to get defensive. If somebody brings to light something that, that we're doing that's wrong, we, we don't like that. And that's essentially what that is saying, is that God tells us the truth about ourselves. But praise God that by His grace, He lets us know that we are weak, rather than allowing us to continue to operate under the facade of strength. Matt Chandler, a preacher from Dallas, Texas, says it like this. If you're addicted, if you're depressed, if you're angry, if you're wrestling with anxiety, if you know you're selfish, if you're breaking up all your relationships, if you know you are easily prone to rage and violence and on and on, if your marriage is a train wreck and God shows up and says, no, you're nailing it, think about how defeating Life-sucking that would be if God didn't tell us the truth about ourselves. I mean, we're exhausted trying to make our marriages work on our own. We're exhausted trying not to lash out at our children. We're exhausted trying to break addiction patterns. We're exhausted trying not to fly off the handle. We're exhausted trying to beat sin on our own. And it can't be done. 
Third, Jesus offers us pardon for our sin. Praise God that he does that. And it's only in the person and the work of Jesus on the cross that grants us that pardon. See, we are not innocent. We all struggle with sin of some kind. Let's just get that out in the open. It hurts to hear that we struggle, that we make mistakes. Really stinks to listen to that. But the thing is, is that we're not innocent, but we are pardoned. And finally, number four, God demands a response. God demands a response from us. Once he grants us pardon, he wants to know from us that we repent of our sin. That we can't fix ourselves. See, when we're in the midst of sin, when we just absolutely suck at life, or even if we're at rock bottom, we don't have the strength to change it. We don't have the ability to fix it ourselves. And so let's just be honest with each other and say that we've all messed it up. The end, Samson's life, he's in a Philistine temple and they are making a mockery of him and he's standing there and they're laughing at his face essentially and he stands in between these two pillars and he asks a servant to put his hands on the two pillars because he's blind And he puts his hands on the two pillars. And verse 28 of chapter 16 says, And then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. So in that moment, that beautiful moment, Samson realizes that the strength that he has was not of his own, and that it was God. See, the same is true for us today. We live in a do-it-yourself society where if you believe it, you can achieve it. And if, if you just become more disciplined, if, if you just spend more time if you, if you, if you, if you, and we just can't do it. So here's what our response today needs to be. That we just can't beat sin ourselves. Let's just admit that together, that we can't beat sin by ourselves, and that we will never be a better God than God. So here's the final blank on your outline. This is the final thing I want you to think about. It says, I am giving up trying to beat blank. I am giving up trying to beat 
whatever it is you're struggling with. I know that some of you in here today have been struggling with a sin that has been a long time coming that maybe nobody knows about. Maybe it's an addiction you have that nobody knows about. Or maybe several people know about it, but it's still a struggle, and you've been trying to beat it by yourself. You've been trying to become more disciplined, and it's just not working. And like we talked about earlier, you're just exhausted trying to beat it. So, as you are filling out your outline, as you think about your life and the sins that you struggle with, be totally honest with yourself and take some time today to write in the sin that you know you can't beat. And then, as we know that God demands, we have a response. We have a chance to repent of our sin. To ask God for help in that moment. Maybe today is the day for you to give up the sin that you've been struggling with for a long time. Maybe today's the day you come honest. You, you come out in the open and be honest with an addiction that you have. Maybe today's the day that you ask someone for forgiveness for something that happened a long time ago. Maybe today is the day that we admit that we're not the ones that are in control and that God is and that he's the only one that offers us any hope. He's the only one that is offering us pardon. So in a minute, the band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song. We're going to have a time of invitation. We're already doing one baptism today. Somebody else feels the need, the call to be baptized. We'd love to baptize you. Somebody needs prayer for something that they're really struggling with, that they've never really admitted. We want to pray for you. If you'd rather do it privately, please come talk to Greg or myself or Cody or even one of the elders. See, we just want to admit to you that we all struggle. We all struggle with sin. And we get it. And that today could be the day that we give it to God. Let's pray. God, uh, we are sorry. God, we're sorry for the way that we have continually turned our backs against you. God, just like your people of Israel, God, that they constantly turn their backs against you and you have to send in a judge and, and start that cycle over again. God, we know that we do that. And we know 
that it's not by our own strength today that we are saved, but it's by your son, Jesus. And so we just admit that today and just ask for forgiveness. And now we just worship you, our creator God. 